0: The call on the ice stands. We, gotta go. the colors, we are set to go! us roll, boys. Let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each. We're fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. do it. Hey.
1: After further review, it's the Scouting the Rest podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith.
0: Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys. Let's drop the puck. You remember last week about this time, Josh? And I was talking about the Department of Player Safety and consistency. Yes. Clearly, I was wrong. The wheel of justice was actually just out being serviced or something like that. Maybe it needed a 10,000 spin checkup, but apparently it's back in, in action now.
1: It, it is. There's, there's definitely action. I don't know if it's the <laughs> action we might have been hoping for on certain plays or action that we think those plays may have deserved, but there is definitely action on that wheel.
0: And maybe in some cases inaction. <laughs> we'll have to uh, wait and say, this is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you follow us on the social channels on X and Instagram. You will get Josh at Scouting the Rest. You'll get me at Todd Lewis Sports on both X and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode. Player safety hearings and the ensuing confusion. Another coach gets the gate. Stick swing costs you five k. So does a cross check. Running the goalies plus shock and dismay. Was
1: that sort of sum things up for the last week or so? Boy, shock and dismay. I I didn't know we were getting into the Maple Leafs here, but I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about team performance. There's a lot of cities that are kind of in that now. But let's let's go to the shock and dismay that I was more focused on when Commissioner Gary Bettman upheld the four-game suspension levied against Boston's Charlie McAvoy for the headshot that he delivered to Florida Panthers defenseman Oliver Ekman Larson. I I, I cannot believe that McAvoy actually even appealed this and thought that he might have a chance at having the suspension reduced. I mean, if nothing, look at the four-game suspension that was issued earlier this year, And was not reduced. So I don't know what the thinking was here in, well, let's appeal this.
1: Well, I don't know again, Todd, is this the players association that's just trying to uh, appeal these multiple game suspensions in hopes of maybe using this in the next CBA negotiation to try to say, look, every time we appeal, the commissioner upholds it. So obviously this isn't working for us because we need some room to wiggle here. But I, I think on the play itself, four games seemed fair. Uh, Mr. Bettman put the release out with the decision and we have it up on the scouting, the rest website. You can read all about how he ruled on it. And really it was a late hit. It was a high hit. It wasn't shoulder to shoulder. And uh, while Charlie McAvoy made a great counter argument, it was one that was not going to get his suspension reduced. So uh, a good try, but not a shock there. And this is the end of the road for the appeals process. When it's less than six games, it goes to commissioner Bettman. He gets the final say and Charlie McAvoy, you're you're sitting for one more game than you hoped.
0: That's interesting. The theory about this is maybe a long-term play in terms of Maybe we need to review how the suspension appeals process works. I hadn't thought of that, but that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, you wonder. There's there's lots of lawyers involved, and there's always an end game. There's always a strategy or something at play here. So whether it's just getting more dollars back in their players' pockets, or whether there's something else that maybe they really wanted to push here when it comes to CBA negotiations, or just looking at disciplinary actions in general, there's there's always more than meets the eye. I think when you have lawyers lawyers involved in an appeal to
0: be continued (laughs) player safety hearing this week for Calgary's Andrew Manjapani he delivered a cross check to Seattle's Jared McCann flames forward took a shot on goal it was blocked by McCann he was kind of covering up the puck on the play Manjapani wasn't pleased kind of loses his mind and delivers a cross check to the back and neck area we'll say and it clunked McCann's head on the ice. He received a match penalty from the refs. Player safety added one more game after this hearing. Do we want to talk about the comparables, or do we want to talk about your initial thoughts on this hit first?
1: Well, my first thought was, holy cow, this is a dangerous play, and uh, I, this is a multiple-game suspension. This is not trying to play the puck. I think someone on uh, on social media came back and said he was he was really trying to make a play on the puck. <laughs> never never in the history of hockey has a cross check to a player's neck when he's lying prone on the ice been making a play on the puck so i i was surprised it was only one game i thought this is one of those maybe it's instantaneous it's not premeditated but this is a very dangerous play that is only resulting in intent to injure or possibly a, you know a serious injury at that so I, i'm glad that the officials called it the way they did but i was surprised the player safety didn't come down a bit stronger on the suspension.
0: I agree that it should have been a little bit longer. There was a comparable that a lot of people brought up pretty quickly, and that's Jamie Ben delivering the cross check in a similar fashion to Mark Stone during the the playoffs. Ben got two games, and it seems like the the difference that was cited in the explanation video is that Manjapani didn't deliver his cross check with the same kind of deliberate force. So by yep. by multiplication or subtraction, he ends up with only one game. But I, 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 I still think that it should have been more than that.
1: Yeah, I think when they came down and, and put the ruling out with the comparison there, it was the full force, the full extension of the arms. I think the uh, the Jamie Ben incident with Mark Stone, there was a little more animosity there. It looked like he was a bit more aggressive and they were playing each other physically. In this case, there was nothing going on between Mangiapane and McCann. This was purely an attempt to, uh, you know, jiggle the piggy bank to get the puck to shoot (laughs) out the side (laughs) so i i get that it really wasn't as aggressive of a play but it's still a really dangerous one so ben gets two games Uh, it was western conference finals i believe I know it was playoff games so two Mm -hmm. playoff games i would have gone two regular season games for this one i i think this is one of those no excuse for having this in the game and no reason to not come down with a a two-game ban so a little disappointing there i would have liked to see two
0: I don't think anyone would have complained if it had been two games. I I, I think that setting that sort of standard that we're not going to tolerate this nonsense is is the better proactive way to go as opposed to the reactionary, uh, oh, that doesn't look so good. Maybe we should give them another game.
1: Yeah, and there's the optics of it too, right? It it looks horrible. If you see this, uh you see a clip, if you're not a hockey fan, you see a guy laying flat on the ice getting cross-checked to the neck, and you're like, Well, that's that's a really bad play. Oh, it's a, it's a one-game suspension. And uh, go figure. But I think the only people that would have objected, Todd, would be the Players Association, who would have appealed if it were two games. Oh, there you go.
0: Right. Okay, we're back to the appeals again. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to more stick work. This one involving New York Islanders Matt Barzal, who swung his stick rather wildly in a game versus the Carolina Hurricanes and winds up hitting Tony D'Angelo right in the chops. The swing appeared to be accidental. Referee Wes McCauley only issued a minor penalty on the play. Player safety thought it was also worthy of a $5,000 fine. Let's all say it together, the maximum, the maximum allowable, allowable. under <laughs> the CBA. That's right. I was wondering, would it be possible, I, There, I you know, there wasn't the he drew blood, so it's, it's automatically a double minor, but could a double minor penalty have been issued in this case?
1: In this one no uh the the refs are really limited to the minor penalty or the match penalty match would come in for a deliberate in t- deliberate intent or attempt to injure the opponent which I think we can all say this this didn't appear to be a deliberate attempt there it was it was careless it was reckless and without an injury on the play, they don't have the option for the double minor as well. That gets triggered when a player is injured. D'Angelo appeared to avoid injury. Now, certainly if he's cut, if he's bleeding, if he does have some sort of a facial injury, then absolutely we're, we're looking at four minutes here. But without that injury, the only option is a minor minor penalty, regardless of how reckless it happens to be. The, the fact that he avoided getting cut is also fortunate for Barzal because it kept him out of the box for an extra two
0: so that leads me to the next question is should referees have more discretion on such a play to issue a double minor if they if they choose
1: i think that's a valid consideration i I think the league has tried in the past to simplify the rule book and try to make it more cut and dry when it came to interpretations but we'll see and, and we have recently when it comes to boarding or interference or some of the other plays the difference between a minor and a major in a match is the degree of violence and. Maybe recklessness or carelessness, uh, the degree of carelessness of your stick could be a factor to increase the penalties here. I think this would be a clear candidate for it. There are definitely those plays when a guy's stick catches somebody up high, but this Barzal goes in, he whips his arm around, whips his stick around. Um, I would say if I were an NBA official that this would maybe be a flagrant high stick and possibly if you wanted to make a rule book change deserving of uh, an extra penalty.
0: Yeah. Um- just one note on your comment there, Josh. How many pages long is the NHL rulebook?
1: The NHL rulebook is uh, 222 pages long. So maybe we don't want to add. This is why we don't even have it in print anymore. We get the online version because the league is no longer printing up the uh, the Bible that is the NHL rule book, the yellow okay. pages. If if we go back to the olden days,
0: yes, I I would say okay. Uh, another week goes by and we had another coach tossed out of a game. It was the Edmonton Oilers, one of those teams that you mentioned in terms of the uh, the uh, frustration, taking on the uh, Vancouver Canucks and losing to the Vancouver Canucks for the first time for the third time. Excuse me, in the first month of the season. Things got a little heated during the game, and they got a little heated between Edmonton Oilers coach, Jay Woodcroft, and the official Kevin Pollock. Woodcroft didn't like a call or two on his team, and when he expressed his dismay to referee Pollock, he incurred a two-minute minor for unsportsmanlike conduct and uh, got tossed. Post-game, I thought this was very interesting, Woodcroft stated that he asked about the call, but did not use profanity, <laughs> but I'm really kind of curious as to what was said
1: now. I am as well. You've got a veteran official there, referee Kevin Pollock, over 1,500 regular season games, has never thrown a coach out of a game before. And here we go with Whitcroft getting the gate for that one. And it, it was weird timing too, right? Because you have all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden your, your team's on the power play, you're skating past the bench and something was said and that something was enough <laughs> to blow the whistle and immediately toss him from the game. So uh, yeah, it, it had to be a good one. And unfortunately Todd, we missed out on what exactly it was. I mean, if it, if it was profanity, at least I'd have something to go on, but if it wasn't man, Woodcroft had to have something really good to say there
0: and and some some coaches, I guess too, and some uh, some players are experts at the chirps. But you know what? This is also another opportunity that screams out for the return of the ref cam, don't you think?
1: Oh, my gosh, how wonderful would it have been to see not only Pollock's point of view as as the coach is blasting him for whatever he's saying, but to hear it to get it right from the the horse's mouth and to hear what Pollock might have chirped back because the officials are known to respond as well. And I think a certain degree of back and forth may have taken place. And whatever Woodcroft said that crossed the line, oh, to see it from Pollock's point of view would be a thing of beauty.
0: Ah, well, we'll just be left hunting once again. Okay, also in this same game, Leon Dreisaitl had himself one of the easier goals that he will score throughout his career on uh, Thatcher Demko. And many wondered if the goal would be allowed to stand because Thatcher Demko, well, wasn't standing for the entire play. He kind of gets bowled over in Holloway before the puck goes into the net. Um, This is a idea for, shall we say, maybe a re-education on the goals of goaltending interference and how they apply to the goalie in this case
1: yeah it's an interesting play because we have a couple different factors here we have the consideration that the goaltender is outside the crease and you can have goaltender interference contact outside the goal crease is under rule 69.4. if it's more than incidental contact and a goal is scored the goal will be disallowed reading between the lines there that means that if you do have incidental contact outside the crease a goal could still be scored on the play. It goes on to say that a goaltender is not fair game just because he is outside the goal crease, but that there are situations where you have incidental contact. And this is one of those plays where you have the goaltender behind the net. You have an attacking player who's moving towards the net behind a defending player that trying to retrieve the puck and pursue him for that. And I think in this case, Demko knew exactly what he was doing. And to support that, it's it's not the goaltender interference rule, I think, that comes into play here, Todd. It's rule 56, interference. Demko is clearly running a pick here. And when we have a player who checks an opponent not in possession of the puck, if there's a, a battle for the puck and you have somebody else step in and interfere with that and deliver the pick, which is determined by somebody moving into an opponent's path without having body position and taking him out of the play, it's an interference penalty. Probably didn't rise to that level, but certainly a consideration of approaching that level, you know, setting the Mm -hmm. pick there. and Demko was Mm -hmm. clearly blocking the path there. He was trying to make it harder for the defending player to get by. He did. There was incidental contact. We play on. That's what the goaltender interference rule says. And again, I, I don't think this rose to the level of really calling a penalty there for the interference, but I do think that the pick is what negated any hopes that Demko had of getting that goal disallowed
0: he was not doing all he could to get out of the way and and (laughs) allow play to continue. It's sort of like when players don't get out of the crease quickly during goaltender interference kind of thing.
1: Yeah, same idea. He really didn't make an attempt to get back. If if he's fighting his way back to the crease and then happens to make contact or the player goes into his path a little bit as he's doing that, then it's a different situation. But you can really see he sets up shop there. He sees the player (laughs) coming towards him. He puts it in park. And he just waits. So <laughs> if he's trying to get back to the crease, this maybe plays out differently, but you can see he stops squares up to the skater and makes himself big to try to make him go around. And unfortunately for Demko and the Canucks it didn't work this time.
0: Another goaltender collision that got a lot of attention involved, Pittsburgh Penguins netminder Tristan Jari and Ducks forward Adam Henrique. Jari is looking to make a save. Henrique is cruising by the front of the crease and has contact with the goaltender and clearly rattles him on the play. Jari winds up collecting the puck, making the save, but then almost immediately leaves the ice. And it left many wondering after seeing the replay that there was obvious contact between the two but there was no penalty. And again, people were screaming that there should be a goaltender interference call, but Josh, no infraction was committed here.
1: There was no infraction. And it goes back to the same rule we just talked about, contact outside the goal crease. Even though Jerry is in the goal crease, his skates are in the blue paint, the league standard for in or out of the goal crease depends on the vertical plane that is outlined by the paint. So you can see clearly... Most of Jerry's body is outside the goal crease. Henrique's entitled to his position in front of the net. They are not in the blue paint. He's establishing position to get a deflection, get a rebound, and he's clearly focused on the shooter. So he's not paying attention where Jerry is. He can be where he is. Jerry comes out and engages. And unfortunately, the outcome was an injury in this case. You never want to see that happen. But as far as the contact goes, this is incidental contact outside of the goal crease. There's no intent. There's no... Uh, targeting where Henrik is really going in and trying to make contact or, or deliver a hit on Jerry he's getting his position he's battling with the defender and the goaltender his position moves up he moves into Henrik and the unfortunate part is that the helmet gets bumped and then a, a subsequent shot right after that appeared to injure him on the play so a horrible outcome and the kind of thing you don't want to see but just because there's an injury doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatically a penalty
0: a legal play, but an unfortunate outcome.
1: Exactly. All right.
0: Let's uh, wrap this one up with the uh, Ross Colton wrecking crew from Colorado. <laughs> How about that? It was it was on full display against the New Jersey Devils. In a single sequence, Colton heads to send Luke Hughes hard into the boards while pursuing a puck. As the play gets stopped up a little bit later on for a, a boarding penalty on Colton, he continues his rampage with a cross check to the face of Timo Meyer. The Uh, there, there's a penalty review. Um, the, the boarding penalty, I believe was reviewed and reduced to a minor, but we're not sure Colton was given a major and a misconduct for the cross check. That's a lot of penalties in a short period of time. And he's also earned himself a $5,000 fine for this rampage. What it, a, what an eventful sequence.
1: What a night he was having, man. If you have him in fantasy hockey and your league has PIMS, it was a <laughs> good one for you here. But it was crazy, Todd, because we didn't get confirmation whether or not this boarding penalty was actually called a major and reduced to a minor upon review or if it was called a minor and then ineligible for review. The only thing Frederick LeCouillet said was, we have a major penalty on the play and it's under review. Now, we know the outcome was that major for the high sticks or the cross-check to the face. So we know that that was at least one, perhaps the only major penalty on the play. But uh, definitely the situation where you have the option to review it, the officials did. I was a little surprised to see that that was just a minor penalty for boarding. I thought it was pretty dangerous. And the boarding standard, as we mentioned earlier in the show, the difference between the minor and the major is the degree of violence of the impact with the boards. And I think Colton timed that shove perfectly. And the way Hughes was turning, the way his body was positioned, I think it was a, a perfect timed shot for maximum impact, which is why I actually wouldn't have been surprised to see a major for the boarding. And then the the high stick to the face or the cross check to the face is... Uh, well, that's brutal enough that you've got an attempt to injure there. And based on intent, we're we're going to see that as a major penalty. And that major requires a game misconduct as well. So once they squared that one away, he was done for the night.
0: I wonder if I, I would agree that the, the boarding penalty on, on Hughes could have absolutely been a, a major penalty and should have been a major penalty. Because you're right, it was it was delivered for maximum crash into the boards, noise and effect. So if he had received a major penalty there and a major penalty for the cross check, does that mean he gets, uh, he gets two game injections or two game misconducts and he misses (laughs) another game? Oh man,
1: it just, that that would make sense. We really, you can only get ejected from the game once for the game, but uh, I'm with you for uh, accruing those game misconducts. If you pick up two game misconduct penalties in a single game, that's an automatic one game suspension. Todd, I think you just, made a logical change to the rule book now now if we can get the players association on board here
0: <laughs> and and actually that would only add to the rule book and make it longer than it already is
1: oh gosh they're already appealing that suggestion forget it I'm oh out. no good stuff man we to work get it Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at ScoutingTheRefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at HeyRef at ScoutingTheRefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down.